better shooting range. There's the pass to Leitner. Puts it up. Yes! <laughs> So, Kentucky fans everywhere are probably wondering, why the hell, after we win the national championship, are these knuckleheads playing Christian Leitner in the worst moment in the history of Kentucky basketball? And I have a really easy answer for you, Kentucky fans. reason is because we can't find any of the damn highlights from last night's game. <laughs> I don't know what the hell CBS is doing. They maybe scoured the internet and made everyone remove it, but we couldn't find one. So we went with the Leitner play. Look, at it. it was the 20-year anniversary of that play, so deal with it. Yeah, get over it. You won last night. Welcome to the Sportscasters. This is Season 2, Episode number 12, 13 of the show. Uh, we have a great show lined up for you today. Lee Jenkins, our best buddy. Uh, Lee Jenkins, one of our best buddies, is uh, back on the show today for the first time since Season 2, Episode 1. And I think that 12-week gap would represent the biggest gap we've ever had in between his appearances since the first time he was on. Maybe. That's true. Maybe it's not. I don't know. <laughs> also today, making her third appearance on the show, it's Lee's eighth, by the way, uh, it's Jane Levy, the author of a uh, really interesting biography about Sandy Koufax and, of course, a former book club book of the month, The Last Boy and the Death of America's Childhood. Uh, Jane's going to join us today to help our ongoing process of previewing the Major League Baseball season. And also a new hockey guest for you, Adrian Dater from the... Denver Post and Sports Illustrated, SportsIllustrated.com is going to talk about hockey with us. You know, it's interesting, Don. Don, of course, my co-host here. Hey, uh, we Last week when we were recording, it was a really great night for the Sabres in the sense that they had beaten the Washington Capitals, seemed to have put themselves in the driver's seat for a playoff spot. I'm sure we'll talk about this more later, but... They've pretty much completely ruined those chances in between shows here, and then you yeah, try to save the season tonight. Washington helped them out last night by yes, yeah, Stammer, Stamkos, right? Yeah, Stamkos helped the Sabers a bit. But you're listening to the Sportscasters, as I said, season two, episode thirteen, April third, two thousand and twelve. Lee Jenkins, Jane Levy, Adrian Dater on the show today. Uh, also, we're going to update our book club, which we have a huge update to give you from last week. Um, we're going to do the top 10 uniforms in sports today, and uh, we're going to do pick four. But before we can get to any of that, we have to start things off, as we always do, with three things. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> this is the funnest night ever! <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep! Now let's move on to other business. So we mentioned off the top there that Kentucky won the national championship last night. No one who watched any of the national basketball, or excuse me, the NCAA basketball tournament would say anything but that Kentucky was the best team and they deserved to win the tournament. They played okay last night. They didn't blow me away. They didn't look like a team that would beat four NBA teams, as some people have said. But they certainly look like the best team in college basketball all through this tournament. They kind of cruised through it, I thought. And um, 
of course, since they won the national championship, that means that there needed to be rioting in Lexington, Kentucky. <laughs> Absolutely. And there was plenty of it last night, including a man who was shot during the celebration who today had to have his uh, foot removed. So I'm sure he was really pumped about that. Um, hey, they won the game. Yeah, the celebration spilled into the streets shortly after their win last night, 67-59 over Kansas. Last into the early morning hours Tuesday, authorities reported numerous small fires. That means couches and things like that. <laughs> Dozens of arrests for things like intoxication, starting says, said fires, and the biggie. Uh, and that was, of course, a man who was shot and has lost his foot. Uh, besides the riding and things like that, Don, we know you don't have the reputation for being the biggest basketball fan, but do you have any thoughts in terms of the tournament in general thoughts this year? Did it register for you at all? Or was there just not enough of the kind of quirky things yeah, that draw was, the average fan It's really this no, no Cinderella. Uh, I mean, I, I picked the winner in my bracket, so that's telling you that, uh, an average Joe and I think a lot of people pick picked the winner. Right, right, right. I mean, right. they were the number one overall seed. You know, they lost right before the NCAA tournament in a game that probably didn't matter to them against Vanderbilt. Other than that, the only loss they had was on a buzzer beater in Indiana on December 10th. So, I mean, this was a dominant, really a dominant team in college basketball this year. Right. So, I guess from maybe a history standpoint, maybe this team will be looked at down the road as just like you said, a dominant college basketball team. But for this year... I mean, they kind of won. They went end-to-end, like you said. And No, I mean, it... it six games. They weren't really challenged in any of the six. You know, I kept waiting to see how they would react if they were in a game late in the last two minutes. That just never seemed to happen. Maybe a little bit last night. You know, Kansas, give them credit. They never stopped battling really all tournament long. There's a bunch of times it seemed like they might be eliminated and they made it all the way to the final game. I thought Bill Self did a good job with the Kansas team. And maybe they cut the lead down in the last couple minutes. There was a chance where you thought maybe they had a chance, but it just never happened. Kentucky just kept them far enough away. They made enough three throws, which I'm sure John Calipari loved to see as he famously lost the national championship (laughs) with Memphis because of uh, missed free throws. So uh, that was the uh, basketball tournament. Wasn't that great? I didn't think this year. No, and... uh... Peter King will beg to differ. I've had enough of Mike Milbury. Uh, I've too. probably brought this point up before, and if I haven't, maybe I just talk to myself in my mirror or in front of my TV at home. But uh, you've been an average coach. You had an average NHL career with no Stanley Cups. You were the picture of mediocrity and failure as a general manager, trading away players like Chara, uh, Wade Redden and Brian McCabe in their prime, Ole Okunin, Todd Bertuzzi. The second overall pick uh, that got you Yashin would have been Jason Spezza. Mm. You drafted DPH over guys like Danny Heatley, Marion Gabrick. I don't understand why he has such a broad – why do people listen to his opinions on hockey? He's proven time and time again that he doesn't know what he's doing. Uh he wants to be Don Cherry. He does that same act, but he Not doesn't, as well, doesn't have the entertainment value that Don nope. Cherry has being a crazy old Canadian wacky suit-wearing guy. Uh, Milbury oftentimes comes off as a bully. like He just wants to intimidate people into agreeing with him. He assaulted a kid at a peewee hockey game. I mean, go away, Mike Milbury. I mean, the latest thing now is... 
He went off on Sidney Crosby, and if I haven't mentioned it on the podcast, maybe it's just conversations we've had off, I'm not a Crosby fan, and I have admitted that it's a lot of it's uh, jealousy because he could have been on my team. Right. It's not a, a – I'm not denouncing his talent. I think he's fantastic. He's great. He's got awesome vision, amazing passer. But I'm just not a Crosby fan. I'm not really a Pittsburgh fan because I don't like the way they put their team together, but whatever. He called Crosby a goody little two-shoes, a little punk, not the perfect gentleman, and implied he's a hypocrite for playing on the edge after his, quote, 35th concussion. Oh, boy. He punctuated the whole thing by saying, screw him, hit him. And and this is from uh, Puck Daddy's blog that we like to go to so much. We love it, yeah. Greg Wyshynski. So he says all this, and uh, he goes on to talk about Dan Bilesma, who got into it a little bit verbally with Peter Laviolette between the benches. Milbury says it's not totally uncommon of Laviolette's behavior. I can remember being on such a perch or at least trying to climb over the boards to get somebody to make a point, and I thought Dan Bilesma should have taken off his skirt and gone over there. Oh, boy. Why? Maybe Dan Bilesma... What does uh, Dan have to gain by doing that? ...can't hear you with his Stanley Cup rings right. in his ear, as uh, Patrick Waugh would say. Who is this guy to give any coaching advice at all? And maybe the worse than his yelling and ranting is the fact that he went on the air on Philadelphia radio or he reached out. uh, He was reached for the following statement. He says, I reached out to David Morehouse and the Penguins about the comments I made yesterday on the Philadelphia radio. In hindsight, I realized what I said was inappropriate and wrong. And I want to apologize for the Penguins organization and their fans. So what changed? I mean, if you're going to say this stuff, stand by it. You've done this before with other players. Like I haven't Alex heard Don Ovechkin. Cherry back down He's never, his comments. You know, if you right, want to play that ap- role, he stick, hasn't stick with it. Right. Why are Why are you apologizing now? Uh, is the NHL going after him for maybe? I mean, they're on his network, or he's on the network they're on, and they're going. He's going after the poster boy. But either way, I mean, you got to decide who you're going to be. If you If you're really this gung ho, and you, I mean, I've seen him go off on Pat Coletta, Alex Ovechkin. Never had to apologize to these players before, so why the change of heart here? I don't agree with him necessarily. I don't agree with him at all. I mean, he's a bit of a curmudgeon. Like, yeah, he's so grouchy. I don't know what he does like. Like, what does he like? What what makes him happy? It's covering the National Hockey League that bad of a job that you have to be so miserable all the time. He seems to hate that hockey isn't played by people that can't skate anymore. Uh, it's more of a finesse game. That. Uh, He's he's an old he's an old bully is what he was and that's probably what kept him in the league for as long as he was because he was a fairly like I said an average player if you look at his stats he was a below average coach to an average coach the only, the only time he had any success was when he was uh, coach Boston for a couple of years after they were really really good but uh, yeah go away Mike Milbury all right my number two thing this week wow a lot of money got spent in baseball since we've been <laughs> on the air last yeah quite Matt- a bit. Uh, Matt Cain of the Giants received a f- five-year extension for $112 million. I think that's money pretty well spent. I think he's a really great pitcher. Him and Tim Lincecum at the top of that rotation are why the Giants won a World Series a couple years ago. Uh, pitchers cost a lot of money these days. There's not as many great ones out there as we might want there to be, and they cost big money. contract that maybe surprised me a little bit as maybe not, maybe just the size of it. The fourth biggest contract in the history of Major League Baseball was given to Joey Votto of the Cincinnati Reds. Ten years, two hundred and twenty-five million dollar contract extension. He wasn't 
All-Star Game alternate. And he was the <laughs> National League MVP two years ago. Right. Um, he basically... Oh, he's is, a good player, he's but... He's signed now until... He's 39 years old, so he's not going anywhere, I don't think. No one's ever going to trade for this no. contract, I wouldn't expect. So the Reds took a huge gamble here. They've basically attached their future to a guy who has one MVP, two All-Stars. He's played basically four full years in the league. And um, he's getting Albert Pujols money. I guess they kind of have to, though, right? I mean, is that one of them where well, they got a you beautiful don't ballpark? Yeah, you're not going to want to lose this guy. Although he had two years left on his contract, I don't know okay, right. why they had to do it now because he's going to play two more years. This contract doesn't kick in until after the 2013 season. It's interesting. He's going to make 26.5 million dollars over the next two seasons. So I don't know why this needed to be done now, but they did it. So wow. Good for you, Joey Votto. Good for you. Yeah. Congratulations go out to Jamie Moyer, who at 49 years young has made the Colorado Rockies roster. Incredible. Uh, and he's going to start the second game of the season. So, interestingly, the announcement was made on the 20th anniversary of Moyer being released by the Chicago Cubs. He said that was the third year in a row he had been released, uh, having been sent packing the previous two years by St. Louis and Texas. He says, quote, a lot has happened, he said with a smile. Um, not much more to say about that. It's congratulations. I mean, that, that's a really cool thing. His 103 wins since turning 40 are second most in baseball history, 18 behind Phil Necro. He probably doesn't get there this year. That would be a lot of wins for I don't, a bad baseball team. I don't know if you noticed this on Twitter the other day, but two of our buddies, Richard Deitch and Pablo Astori, we're having a pretty heated debate on Twitter as to what the more impressive story was. Jeremy Lin this year with the Knicks or Jamie Moyer making this team at, what'd you say, 49? 49, yeah. So what do you think? You got one say- corner, you have Lin coming out of nowhere, Harvard basketball player to resurrect the Knicks. Now that story's sort over of, because right. he's yeah. uh, had surgery and is basically out for the season and they're going to maybe make the playoffs, maybe not. Versus Jamie Moyer making a roster in a tough place to pitch. You know, Colorado balls fly out of that ballpark. He doesn't throw particularly hard. I don't know. Lynn, Lynn's story is going to get more press, for sure. I mean, right, it's might, New York. That might be a no-brainer, right. dumb thing to even say. But uh, I guess the Moyer thing is a little more impressive. It shows longevity, uh, stick-to-itiveness, or whatever other cliche you want to attach to it. But he's hung around. I mean, 49 years old, he could be my father if he had me really young. You know, I mean, that's... That's that's really impressive, especially from a position that's not like he's not a designated hitter. He's not uh, playing first base. He's playing a position where you got to go out there and throw hard every five days or every four days. And he, uh, yeah, I mean, he's just he's managed to hang on. I guess it would be a little bit more impressive if this were like a team like he made the Phillies rotation at forty nine or the Yankees rotation or. Boston's rotation, but I mean the Rockies aren't a good team. Their pitching isn't great. But that said, it, it's still a pretty amazing story. And potentially, if he can hang on for, like I said, it probably take two years. He can maybe make some history. All right, my third thing today. I went to a pretty cool event on Sunday in Buffalo, New York. This last week or so, the USA Hockey Youth Tier One National Championships were held at a rink that used to be called the Pepsi Center. I believe it's now called the Northtown Center, something like that. 
just across the corner, and I got to watch the Long Island Royals team that's been featured on the NFL Network this year and NHL.com. They've been doing a documentary series following this team. It's coached by former Buffalo Sabre and NHL Hall of Famer Pat LaFontaine. His son, Daniel LaFontaine, is one of the best under-16 prospects in the country. He was on the team, sadly, unable to play in the national championship game. I talked to him afterwards. He had injured his knee, sprained MCL two to four weeks, couldn't play in the national championship. That injury occurred in the semifinals, a 5-4 to victory that his Long Island Royals had against the Chicago Mission. Another interesting story about that team. Their best player, a kid who had two goals in the national championship game, is a guy named Justin Bailey. Keep an eye on that name. He's from Buffalo, New York. He played for the Amherst Knights last season and defeated Pat LaFontaine's Long Island Royals in the States. Pat recruited him, brought him out to Long Island. He lived with Pat for the whole season, and he led uh, the the Royals to the national championship. And I'm sure you're going to see some video from that if you follow NHL.com. And the NHL Network, I believe the show is called uh, Be a Royal or something like that. Also, Shattuck St. Mary's fame program defeated the LA Junior Kings 2-1 to in the 18 and under national championships. I got to catch the tail end of that. Congratulations to Shattuck. Wilkes, Wilkes-Barre Scranton Junior Knights defeated Andy Strickland St. Louis, Junior, uh, St. Louis Blues in the under-14 national tournaments. And the only other one then was the under-12 tournament. Chicago Mission beat the New Jersey Colonials. Really cool event. I'm really glad I got to check it out. And uh, congratulations to Pat LaFontaine, one of the greatest Sabres of all time, on coaching his son and the rest of the Long Island Royals to the national championship. My last thing this week involves the Detroit Lions and Nick Fairley, who was today arrested on marijuana possession and... Really, that's all I'm going to do about that story, and I'm going to use that to shamelessly jump to our other project. Uh, Another player, Michael LaShore, was also arrested for marijuana possession. He chewed it, though. Which you can hear all about over at footballnation.com. We've talked about how we're we're going to have a project over there, and we officially will starting now. Now, when you hear this podcast, other podcasts should be up. I'm not exactly sure where they're going to have it on the site, but... You'll be I'm able sure to you'll find be able it. to find it. Yep. Footballnation.com. We're going to have a football-centric podcast. It's going to be a little bit tighter. Uh, we're going to do three things football-related. Then we're going to have a weekly interview with someone in the football world. This week it was Peter King, so it doesn't get much bigger than that. And then we'll uh, leave you like we do here, kind of, with a few closing thoughts and wrap it up. It's going to be tight. It's going to be good. And we're really excited to be affiliated with Football Nation. Yeah, you know, if you've had a chance to hear this podcast from Kerry J. Byrne from Cold Hard Football Facts has been on, Football Nation is another one of his websites. Right. And uh, we have always had such a good time with Kerry that we thought, let's talk about maybe working together. This opportunity came up, and Don and I are really excited about it. We hope that you'll check it out. As he said, it's on footballnation.com. You can follow them on Twitter at FBallNation. You can follow us at sports underscore casters for more information. Yeah, Football Nation has a uh, like a collection of it's a network. It's a 
webcast or website network. And Football Nation is the main one. Like Steve said, Cold Hard Football Facts is one of them under the umbrella. College Football Geek there. And if you want to know more about what Football Nation is, I think the best way to, to describe it is it's like Bleacher Report, but football-centric. Right. You know, they have people who uh, – over a 1,000 people who reg- regularly contribute – Articles that they're basically own free will on that site. There are approved writers that go through an approval process at Football Nation, and um, that's basically kind of what it is. And now we're there. We're going to be uh, featured contributors, and each week we're going to contribute uh, a unique piece of audio for them to play. And we're really excited about it. So we hope you check it out. Yeah, go check it out. Right now they have up there a Football Nation mock draft where uh, it's a collaboration of a bunch of people. And they also have uh, a little more on the lighter side, a Football Movies mock draft, which we had some fun with on our other podcast. So be sure to check that out too. All right. We are going to move forward here on this podcast, Season 2, Episode 13 of the Sportscasters Proper, which I'm going to get used to calling it. This show is going to be the Sportscasters Proper. The other one's going to be Football Nation Presents Sportscasters. But uh, as we continue on with Proper today, we're going to have Jane Levy make her third appearance, Lee Jenkins make his eighth, and Andrew Dater his first. We'll be right back. Our first guest today is from Long Island, New York. She did her undergraduate studies at Bernard College before earning her master's degree at the Columbia University Graduate School of Journalism. Early in her career, she was a staff writer at Women's Sports and Self Magazines. She then went on to be a staff writer at the Washington Post from 1979 to 1988. She has been published in the New York Times, Newsweek, Sports Illustrated, and the New York Daily News. Her work has been anthologized in many collections, including Alex Bell's Lasting Yankee Stadium Memories. Her comic novel, Squeeze Play, was held by Entertainment Weekly as the best novel ever written about baseball. She is also the author of the New York Times bestseller, Sandy Koufax, A Lefty's Legacy, and The Last Boy, Mickey Mantle, and The End of America's Childhood. She was the guest editor of the 2011 edition of the Best American Sports Writing Series. Today, she is making her third appearance on the podcast. A warm sportscasters, welcome to the very distinguished Jane Levy. How are you doing today, Jane? Fine, Steve. How are you? Doing very good. Uh, looking ex- looking forward to a new baseball season, as I'm sure you are. And was as tickled soon as possible. <laughs> and was tickled pink the other day when uh, I was just browsing around the Apple Bookstore and uh, found that I could pick up a copy of that Sandy Koufax book I mentioned for only a dollar ninety nine. You seem to be kind that's of not, that's not good news to a writer. Really. <laughs> well, we've talked about this before where I was able to pick up a copy of The Last Boy for nothing in the same means. So you seem to be almost the queen of these sales. Um, cheap date. <laughs> but I love, I'm loving and, and certainly enjoying um, Sandy's book quite a bit, as, as I did uh, The Last Boy. And uh, you're even taking me away from some of my work, as I'm supposed to be reading Hank Haney's new book and... Um, also, Mark Titus's new book, so you're slowing me down a little bit, but that's okay. We'll let it slide. Um, curious about some things. Uh, first thing I'm curious about is, as we get ready for the new baseball season, I'm just curious, what excites you still? What, what do you look forward to when it gets to be this time of year? What is Jane Levy interested in finding out about baseball? Hmm, what's the next unprecedented thing um, that I'll see? You know, the, the, the thing that everybody said couldn't happen but does. 
Okay. Is there anything? What's an example of that that you've seen in the past? Like, well, I saw I saw the night that um, this goes back a ways. Obviously, I mean, I saw Cal Rifkin's uh, streak, uh, and I saw uh, him tie Garrig. I saw Mantle uh, collapse in the base path. Um, uh, 1962, trying to leg out a right. cheesy ground ball to shortstop. I saw Reggie Jackson hit a ball so hard off the right field wall at the old Memorial Stadium in Baltimore that it left a you know a, 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 a dent in the in the padding. Um, uh, what else have I seen? I saw the George Steinbrenner mausoleum recently. Um, that's a bad joke. Um, I saw. Let's see. What did I see? I think I saw. I think I saw Jeter's three thousandth hit. But it isn't just those, you know, pinnacle record-saving, record-setting, and record-saving uh, events. It's the, it's the little things that cause my dog to bark. <laughs> He's on um, every time. I love it. I was hoping yeah, she does. And, and yeah, as she, I as I've mentioned to you before, she is named Scooter after right? the Scooter. So, um, well, my you know, dog, it's, my it's, dog it's is somebody Tolson. turning a, a, a double play that you, you know, is, you know, it makes you gasp, but you just didn't think anybody's body could move, you know, in two simultaneous, two directions simultaneously. It's, um, uh, it, it's the sense of, um, urgency about that you see in, in baseball, um, at, a, at a given moment, on a given play, on a given ball, and at the same time, the sense of um, uh, the leisurely unfolding of a narrative. I know it's not exactly unprecedented because we've been dealing with this for a long time, but does, it, does the money ever make you look twice? Like, I know for me, when I no. saw that Joe Votto was going to get $225 million from the Reds, I, I don't know, that just surprised me a little bit. Not you, though, huh? Uh, you know... I... <laughs> We live in a capitalist society, and as long as markets determine, um, you know, what who gets paid what, um, you know, there's no um, buddy that's going to tell an owner it's idiotic to spend twenty-two million dollars on a on a hitter or a you know hundred and fifty million on a pitcher or whatever it is. You can't tell them not to do it, and I always feel that to blame the player. For taking it is completely unfair, wouldn't you? Oh, absolutely! I wouldn't tell the player not to take it, not at all. I, it's not their fault, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, you know, you've you mentioned Derek Jeter's three thousandth hit, which we saw last year, and you've you've seen you know you've seen many great Yankees careers come and go, and I just wonder how do you think the Yankees should approach the exit plan for Jeter and. How do you think they should react if he gets off to as slow of a start as he did last year? Do you think that that will create a lot of panic? Do you think that they should wait him out and see if he turns it around, kind of the way Big Poppy seems to have done the last few years in, in Boston where we maybe thought the end was there for him and he ended up coming out of it? What, what do you see as the end of Jeter's historic career comes to an end in New York? Well, it's an awful lot harder um, to make that kind of graceful exit um, when a guy is playing shortstop as compared to designated hitter, um, you know, and, and the toll on on the body obviously is wildly different. Um, you know, Jeter is one of those guys who 
thrives on literally being in the middle of things. And one of the things that you see in sports over and over and over, we all say, why can't they quit? Why can't they walk away at the top? Well, the same thing that makes them so intensely competitive and that defines them as, you know, that, that, that quotient of excellence is the same thing that militates against accepting that you can't do it. And so it's it's an emotional quandary, um, you know, to say, oh, I you know, I, I'm never going to be able to do this again because your body's always told you otherwise. Um, you know, I, I think that um, you watch successful general managers, um, they try to blend, uh, you know, a roster with enough new and enough old and, pe- that, you know, the, all the stuff with, the, with contracts is about not allowing too many of them to mature at the same time. And, you know, the Yankees had the issue with the core four. I mean, look at what happened with um, uh, Posada last year. You know, um, proud guy, you know, um, couldn't and wouldn't and didn't want to accept um, uh, the inevitable. And so for a bit, it got ugly. But, you know, this year he had apparently uh, the good sense to realize, you know, that there, there, there comes a time. Um, so I don't know. I, I, you know, I don't know what Jeter is capable of. of I, I, I read Ian O'Connor's book about him last year, which I thought was a really, he did a really fine job. Um, but, you know, whether he is capable of, you know, people talk about making adjustments all the time in your, in your uh, stance and your approach and your this and your that. You know, the far harder adjustments are to age and and uh, you know diminished physio- physiological capacity. Do you think Jeter would ever accept a role in the Yankees other than starting shortstop? I have absolutely no way of knowing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I think a less dramatic thing of you know playing him. You know, fewer games in defense, in, in you know, in 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 honor of uh, keeping him fresh and and doing it that way rather than an all or nothing. Unless he just absolutely, you know, loses it completely, um, uh, is probably the way you know Girardi will try to handle it. What do you think of the way Major League Baseball is starting the season? It's a lot different this year. For one, last week in the middle of the week to maybe. Without half the country's knowledge, there was official baseball games being played in Japan um, at about seven o'clock in the morning here. Uh, usually, today's opening day, right? You know, the or yesterday was opening day. Usually, uh, we're waiting until Friday for most of the games. So, what do you think about the way Major League Baseball has kind of changed opening day around? Does it bother you? Do you like it? Or are you indifferent? Um, you know, it kind of did bother me to tell you the truth. I understand that. Um markets and talent are coming from all other places and that with the diminution of interest among American kids, they have to, you know, look elsewhere. Um, and, you know, Japan and Korea are, are and, and China, um, mainland and otherwise, are, um, you know, places where talent is, is being unearthed all the time. And so that bow to... Um, marketing and to um, uh, you know look, scouting makes sense um, from a I guess a macro point of view, but it's certainly just like the the new layer of wild cards may make an awful lot of sense in terms of 
marketing and, and things, it, it's another blow to tradition. I mean, I, you know, I wanted to see somebody throw out a ball in Cincinnati <laughs> to a $22 million whatever. Well, <laughs> right. uh, you, when the Yankees eventually, they're going to start on the road, but when they do eventually start in New York, will you be there on opening day? Will you be somewhere on an opening day? Is that important to you to get out to a stadium? To be a part of um, opening day? Yeah, usually it is important to me whether I'll be able to do it this year. Um, I'm not quite sure. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try. I, I may be at the stadium on the 17th, which, um, you know, it's a little later in the day. But um, I'm, I'm gonna, I know I'm going to try to be there that night. Yeah. What uh, do you have any? I, I actually really want to go see um, the, the Nats uh, pitching this year. Right, Strasburg back at full strength. That and are you surprised that Bryce Harper isn't starting in the majors? Are you excited to see his? Not career? at all. No, you expected that. <laughs> no, I mean, first of all, he he didn't hit in spring training much. He didn't hit at all because he was injured part of the time. And uh, in addition, um, you got that little contractual thing that if he doesn't start in the majors, right. he has a much better chance of. Uh, uh, coming up a little bit later, and then they have control of him for another year. So no, I didn't. You know, I didn't expect to see him opening day. If he had, if he had, you know, torn the cover off the ball, as they say, perhaps it would have been different. Did you get a chance to see Strasburg before his injury? Not in person, no. No. So, uh, you know, Tommy John has been something that we've seen evolve over the years, and you know, a lot of times now it seems like pitchers come back stronger. You don't? Do you have any? You know, do you have any feeling about Strasburg? Do you think he's going to be what we thought? Or maybe the better question is, do you think we've put too much expectation on Strasburg that he almost can't even live up to it, even if he pitches his best? You know, there's a really great story in uh, ESPN, the magazine. If not, I guess it was last week's issue by Lindsay Barra, uh, Yogi's granddaughter, who's a terrific writer, um, about how prevalent Tommy John's surgery has become. Um, I think she used a statistic that um, one out of every seven major league pitchers now has uh, Tommy John surgery. And Tommy John is still um, the first guy, still has the best post-surgical career of anybody who's had it. Um, And her point, um, and I think it's a very interesting one that a lot of people kind of don't want to look at, is that nobody's looking at mechanics. They all look at the surgery as sort of a panacea, you know, cure-all. So you don't really have to work with a guy's, um, you know, delivery and see whether there's a glitch in it that's causing, you know, pressure where there shouldn't be. I mean, look, there's pressure on a pitching room no matter what. Um, but you know, there's there's all that talk about um, Pineda at this point, and whether right. his you know delivery and mechanics are off, and whether that's plus not coming to camp quite in major league shape. Apparently, uh, you know whether that's what's ending up having him start the uh, season on the DL. So um, you know, I think sometimes you know we all want to know the answers before you can. Steven Strasburg's got a long way to go for us to know whether, you know, he can, um, you know, match up to the the 14 Ks of that first appearance or to the hype of, you know, that was expected. Same is true of Bryce Harper. But you know what? You know, that's not as much pressure as a lot of other people face right. every day in, in other capacities. So 
is it interesting and is it interesting from the human point of view how they do it sure and whether they do it sure but it's not exactly you know life or death either all right the sportscasters are here basically out of time with one of our favorites uh gene levy third time on the show we really appreciate it i have two last questions for you you can answer either one whatever one you prefer uh (laughs) first one is has anyone been able to make any ground and maybe convince you to potentially join Twitter or is that book completely closed? Or you can answer (laughs) the second one. You mentioned Yogi Bear's granddaughter. I know you've done some work with Grantland and I'm just curious who you enjoy reading uh, that's writing about baseball now. Who should we definitely read? So take either one and uh, we know you got to go, but um, we really appreciate it as always. Uh, Steve, I still, you know, I mean, maybe someday somebody will persuade me otherwise. I just don't believe that you can really say something um, worthwhile in 140 characters. If that were the case, I wouldn't. It wouldn't take me five years to write books. So I'm um, I'm still an old fogey in in that regard. Um, probably doesn't do me any good in some ways, but hey, what can you do? Uh, read uh, Tom Boswell. Okay. You know, uh, I found your Canadian contemporary, by the way. I'll just tell you this real quick. And uh, We were interviewing a guy last week called Roy McGregor. I don't know if you ever read his work, but uh, he's a really famous journalist in Canada. covers hockey mostly, but uh, he works for the Globe and Mail. And I swear when I, I was talking to him last week, I said, wow, this is just the Canadian Jane Levy. He is on Twitter, but barely. You know what I mean? Like, he's got the name, but... He's kind of like you. He is a guy, right? Yeah, he is a guy. So I well, mean, makes, you guys yeah, know okay. that, that gender difference. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you just... I actually have seen his stuff. I'm not a huge... I mean, hockey is an incredibly hard game to write. Yes. I mean, it's just... Uh, as is, frankly, basketball. You know, any of those... What my hero, Red Smith, used to call those back-and-forth games are just uh, hard to turn into narrative that goes so much slower than the than the ball or the puck, and so I have great admiration for guys like that. All right, Jane, be well. We're going to let you go. We can't wait to talk to you again maybe sometime. Happy opening day. Yeah, same to you. We're looking forward to it. All right. All right, goodbye. Take care. Thank you. Bye. All right, we have to thank uh, Jane Levy for being on the podcast today. We really appreciate that. Hopefully one of these days we'll talk Jane into uh, joining us on Twitter. <laughs> In the meantime, uh, Don mentioned it off the top, and we're going to mention it at the end. Uh, we are starting a new project this week with the guys over at Football Nation. Football Nation, we're going to have a podcast over there. Peter King's our first guest. And we've always said on this show that there probably wouldn't be a sportscasters if there wasn't a Dave Damashek. And in light of our professional development with the new project starting today, I thought we should pay tribute to Dave Damashek by using the sportscaster's time to talk about one of his favorite things, and that's sports uniforms. Right. So the assignment, depending on whether or not Don took it that way or not, as we <laughs> found out last week, he can be a little tricky, was basically just to give your list of the top 10 uniforms in sports today. I did do a top 10 list of the uniforms in sports today, but I did that with the caveat of if the logos or the mascot of those uniforms were to come to life and they had to fight to the death. Ooh. So, real quickly, not considered. We're natural disasters. Like, okay. Because how do you fight like a hurricane or lightning right. or avalanche? Right. 
birds and small flying creatures like hornets are not going to scare no, anybody either no. are any of the million hawk cardinals. teams cardinals yeah. no rays out killed steve Irwin. crocodile right. hunter right. they're, they're yeah. out uh teams with racist slash uh or racist native american oh, like names Indians. or mascots yeah. redskins braves indians buffalo teams Immediately out, uh, which was hard to do because I'm a homer. And we we could have had a sword in the fight. We could have had a sword, right. but most of our mascots are buffaloes, and we don't have a team called the Buffalo Buffaloes. So despite my own team, I'm going to kick them out. Man-made objects, no jets or rockets, and uh, Leafs. Yeah. Which is why. I mean, That'd be an awful participant in the fight. All right, well, let's give us give us your number 10. All right, number 10 is Sharks. Uh, could have been higher. They're dominant in a water setting, but right. otherwise not. So, yeah, because so if they're dominant. out of the water, they'll just die. Right. All right, my number 10, I went the traditional route, just top 10 uniforms in sports, as I thought Dave would put together the list. In my opinion, the number 10 is the Green Bay Packers in their green. Love it. Yeah, simple. So we were talking about mm-hmm. earlier. Um. My number nine is the coyotes slash timberwolves. I lump them together. They're kind of similar animals. It'd be hard to separate them, but uh, they're like dogs, only meaner. My number nine is the Los Angeles Lakers and their beautiful yellow jerseys. Mm. I mean, they're just gorgeous with the purple. There's almost nothing like it in sports. It's one of the classics. Complimentary colors, yellow mm-hmm. and purple. Yeah, Opposite absolutely. ends of the color wheel. Uh, I'm going to do my eight through six here. Okay. Because they're all kind of similar, but I, I mean, they're in order, but there's not a lot to say. They're all, they're all mammals. Uh, they're all carnivores, but Panthers at eight, both Florida and Carolina. Uh, at seven, I have the Tigers and the Bengals. And at six, I have the Lions. So that's kind of my uh, mammal section. Mammals, hunting mammals section, but it'd be hard to really say too much different about them. So I'd right. by size, kind of. Now let me lay list number eight to six for you. I have the San Francisco Giants and their white uniforms with the. Uh, Orange and black letters say Giants across the front. Ah, yes. Love them. Number seven, I have the Pittsburgh Steelers in their black uniforms. The helmet, so unique with the logo, not on the one side. Three diamonds. And my number six is the Oklahoma Sooners, my only college team. Kind of a homer pick because I'm a big Sooners fan. But I just love their crimson and white combination, especially when they wear their crimson jerseys with their crimson helmets and the white pants. My number five, uh, there's quite a few lumped into this one, but the Pirates, Raiders, Buccaneers, and Vikings. All the same, yeah. Uh, they're all ruthless, brutal, sea seafaring. Uh, they would beat the Sharks in the water setting right. as long as they didn't fall out of the boat. But uh, Pirates and Ninjas are all the rage these days on the mm-hmm. internet and everything, and there's no Ninja team, so the Pirates have it. Uh, Pirate Steve was awesome mm-hmm. from Dodgeball. Veronica Corningstone was a smelly pirate hooker. Right, and Agraman 2 Agraman is around the coming corner. Out, yeah. So they get the number five spot. All right, my number five spot goes to the Chicago Blackhawks. Original six team haven't changed this uniform much. I love the red, especially. Wayne's just, World? Yeah, just a beautiful jersey. You know, Patrick Kane from Buffalo wears it yep. all the time. I love the jersey they came up with in the Winter Classic. Pretty much anything the Blackhawks do, even the whites, they're beautiful. Absolutely. My number three is the Predators. Uh, no, I jumped ahead. Yes, give me my your number four, four first. Oh, I blew it. Okay, my number four is the Bruins, Bears, and Grizzlies. Uh, they're strong, fierce, pound for pound. They're ridiculous, the strength they have in their arms. And it makes you kind of wonder why any team would want to be called the Cubs. Right, why be a baby bear when you could be Sorry, a... I mean, sorry to Eddie Vedder, but right. Cubs, that's strange. That's maybe why they never win. 
Yeah, it's not. There's nothing intimidating about a cub. I could fight a cub. My number four is uh, Homer Pick Buffalo Sabers white jerseys. It's the jersey of my childhood. Yeah, so glad that the Sabers have gotten back to the original design, but a little bit more modern version of it, which I think worked really well this time around. We've killed off the slug. We got the beautiful swords and the and we talked blue off, and the gold and yeah, the white. We talked off the air last week. They already killed their third jersey that they released last year or two years ago, yep, I believe. They played so, two seasons with it, and so, then they're bailed. But they're back to the classic uh, take on their old logo. Yep. I already spoiled it. My number three is the Predators. Uh, no better reason than it. It's just a it's a saber-toothed tiger. I mean, it's tough to – no modern creature is going to beat a saber-toothed tiger. Absolutely. My number three – this is the opposite of a homer pick, one of my least favorite teams, but you can't deny this uniform, and that's the Montreal Canadiens. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just absolutely beautiful, the red and the white and the blue. It's never changed. The H and the C, it's just great. It was uh, I played high school hockey for a team whose uniforms are basically modeled up after them, and it's one of the one of the great uniforms of all time. I like the road. I prefer the road classic reds, I think. but uh, Or the home, it would be now. Right, home reds, now, but, yeah. uh all right, my number two is the Titans. Uh, it's hard to argue with the Titans. Titans are a giant god-related creature, so that's why the San Francisco slash New York Giants didn't make my list because the Titans are like giants but only related to like Greek mythology and gods, so that's got to be cooler. My number two is the New York Yankees pinstripes. Catch me if you can. Why do the Yankees always win? Because everyone's always staring at the pinstripes. <laughs> yeah. You know, one of the best uniforms of all time. Could have easily been number one, but I went with a homer pick for number one. My don't, no doubt number one, which on a serious uniform list would never be anywhere near it, is the Raptors. Uh, if Jurassic Park taught us anything, it's that they're intelligent killing machines. <laughs> and I know that I said the Titans are related to gods, but it doesn't matter. Raptors are smart. They can open doors. Uh, and if the battle takes place in high grass, that only increases their their, right. their killing ability. So Raptors, number one, no doubt. So I like what you did with this. I like the way that this is evolving. You know, we're kind of showing a humored side of the podcast. But I am curious. Do you know what your number one jersey would have been if you would have done it straight up? I thought about it like briefly off the top of my head, and it might have been Montreal. Okay. Just a classic, yeah, simple. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. My number one is the New, York, uh, excuse me, New Orleans Saints. Black jerseys with gold pants, the gold helmet. It's kind of what attracted me to the team initially, you know, watching that first game. I love the symbol. It's all over my house, you know, so. I was thinking even if you're a Saints fan, you can go into stores that aren't sports stores and find the fleur-de-lis. And I've done it with towels. Yeah, it's not necessarily Saints related. I've done it with towels and with candle holders and with all kinds of things that you can find all over my house that has – the Florida de Lee on it, and it's a beautiful symbol. It's not that hard to draw, even if you can't draw. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just, and I love the gold and the black, great colors. And, um, yeah, there's no way it wouldn't have been number one on my list, even though it is a little bit of a homer pick. A little bit, It's just, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's the one I love. So that's that. All right. Who Fun. does we, You mentioned Dave before. Who does Dave has have as his number one? Is it Pittsburgh? Yeah, I think it is it Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. Yeah, you know, and he could go. I, I'm surprised. I like Pittsburgh's uniforms too, and I, I could have put the the Penguins on here. You know, I like their uniforms a lot, especially. Do you like the gold Penguins? Like the golder? The, no, I think I like probably what they're the wearing more. now. The black ones they're wearing now, I think I like the best. Okay. But they've had nice ones, oh, and I like the old school Penguin though, the white and black that Mario wore. Yeah. But, uh, All right, let's take a break. 
Real short break, like I said. We're going to come back and we're going to talk with our buddy Lee Jenkins. Our next guest is from San Diego, California, and is a graduate of Vanderbilt University. In 2007, he joined Sports Illustrated and SI.com as a senior writer. He covers basketball, football, and the sport closest to his heart, baseball. He has been honored for his writing by the New York Press Association, the Football Writers Association of America, the Colorado Press Association, and was named New York's best sports writer by the Village Voice. He is making an unprecedented eighth appearance on our podcast and has been the most professional, kind, and accommodating guest we've ever had. A warm sportscaster's welcome to the great Lee Jenkins. How are you doing today, Lee? Great, Steve. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're excited, as always, to have you. Definitely our favorite spot that we do. It's been a while. Uh, we haven't talked to you since Season 2, Episode 1. This is Season 2, Episode 13, so it's about three months. First of all, since we've talked to you last, Vanderbilt got some got a banner, huh? You guys uh, won the SEC tournament. Yeah, it's kind of mixed emotions whenever you win, you know, beat Kentucky in the SEC tournament, but uh, but fall in the second round of the NCAA tournament. It kind of brings up all those questions about, you know, do you want to win your conference tournament? Do you not want to win it? You know, it's funny because after that game, you know, the head coach is sitting there crying on the bench. Players are crying on the floor. And you're like, okay, in three days, you guys have got to go to another site and, uh, and do this for the real money. And so it's a hard, uh, it's a hard thing. Cause it's, it's a nice consolation prize. But I think in that sport, it's all about what you do in the NCAA tournament. That's true. But let me throw – let me be devil's advocate on that for one second. Yeah. So Vanderbilt – took down a giant, the national champion, the eventual national champion. Uh, really, every other team in that tournament was going to play second fiddle to Kentucky anyway. I mean, they were the best team. Uh, they basically dismantled the tournament in a way I haven't seen since maybe uh, Mecca Okafor's UConn team right. for, you know, a few years back. So doesn't it do quite a bit for the program to be able to hit that recruiting trail now and say, you know what? We've taken the next step. We beat Kentucky in the SEC tournament. Yeah, the NCAA tournament is a little disappointing, but look at the strides we're making. Isn't that something that Vanderbilt can really build on? Yeah, you know, I don't know. I, I never know in college basketball um, how much winning really matters. I mean, it's, it's interesting. Like one of North Carolina's best recruiting classes came the year after their worst season. I'm recovering UCLA. They had a terrible season, and the recruiting class was great coming out of it. I think in basketball, a lot of it is uh, the networking, the TV exposure, tradition. You know, those big powers always do well. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm, you know, I'm thrilled to that Vanderbilt beat Kentucky and and won it. I mean, you know, in Kentucky's defense, you know, we played them three times. They beat us the first two in tight games. We were a good match. Vanderbilt was a good matchup uh, with them. We had a couple guys. I mean, our strengths were at defense, our defensive center. Um, and our defensive small forward. So we matched up pretty well with Kid Gilchrist and NOK with Davis also. And I don't really think Kentucky uh, – Kentucky was locked in as the number one overall seed going into that game. Um, so you look at it different ways. I mean, in, in 96, which to me was the last – this Kentucky team to me was the best college team I'd seen in person since 96 Kentucky. Okay. And that team lost – they went in undefeated. They lost in the SEC tournament final, and then they blitzed everybody en route to the national championship. The team they lost to was Mississippi State. That team went to the final four. So they used that great 
conference tournament run as a launching pad, similar to what UConn did last year. Then you have other teams, like when I was growing up, I remember that great Randolph Childress Wake Forest run. You know, Wake would play great in the ACC tournament, and then they'd fall off in the NCAA. So, you know, it's just, it's different. I mean, coaches have different ways of, of, of looking at it. Um, but I know from Vanderbilt's perspective, they usually fall flat in the conference tournament and they don't do that well in the NCAAs either. So I guess I'll take a split. Right. Now you spent a lot of, you spent a lot of time watching the National Basketball Association, the NBA. And I wonder who did you see in this tournament that you think is going to make a big impact? We know that Kentucky claims to have four first-round draft picks on the team. I'm not going to dispute yeah. that. But uh, maybe outside of the Kentucky guys, what you've seen in the tournament, who do you see as someone who's going to make a big impact on the next level? You know, it's interesting. I, I see a lot of guys um, who have got – I've seen a lot of proof this year or evidence for why you shouldn't go back to school. <laughs> right. A lot of guys who probably would have been – High picks last year. We've sort of seen some flaws in their game. You know, Harrison Barnes, some of his inconsistency and struggles down the stretch. You know, Sullinger was such a hot name last year. You know, now we've seen that he's not, you know, you're able to poke some holes in his game also. I mean, to me, and I don't want to not talk about the Kentucky guys, but, you know, Davis is the one who at this point looks like a, like a, you know, 100% lock uh, NBA star, you know, and if not a superstar, for sure, an all-star, and, and the ability to change the game on the defensive end, um, it, it, that's not going to change. He's going to do that on the NBA level also. Offensively, he'll have some some room to grow. I, I'm not as big of a Kid Gilchrist fan as others are. I think uh, his jumper is going to have to get better. Um, it's going to be a good draft. I don't really think it's going to be as good as we were saying a few months ago, because some of these guys, the more time you spend in school, more time you spend playing uh, in front of that stage, you, you can see some holes in their games that maybe didn't show up a year ago. You know, we've learned in college football that sometimes the way the game is played at that level really muddies the waters for evaluating these guys on the next level. Like what I'm thinking of is the way everyone plays the spread now in college football and, and the debate on whether they're, they're, that's really a preparation to play the pro-style offenses that we see in the NFL. What about college basketball? I mean, it seems like a game that's dominated by the pick and roll. You know, the games were played with a really really low score, it seemed like, this year. You know, long long use of the shot clock, you know. Are, is pro and the in the one and done setup? Are we are they preparing? It's college basketball preparing these players for the pros, or like you said, should they really get one season and get out of there and not not be too long in it? Well, I, I think that's more. What I'm saying isn't more isn't as much from the way the college game is developing them. It's more that you know a lot of the NBA draft, especially in the one and done era, you're gambling on potential. Um, and so the more guys are there, the more flaw, you know, the more you're able to see flaws, and scouts are too. What, what the, the difference, the biggest difference in the college games, they actually they don't play nearly as much pick and roll as the NBA do. It's it's a lot of, uh, it, you're right, they go very deep into the shot clock, not a lot of possessions, um, kind of pass shuttling the ball around the perimeter. It doesn't allow you know some of these great talents to kind of showcase themselves a lot, um, and that's I think where there might be some frustration in terms of evaluation um, for the NBA. But really, I think I think NBA scouts, I know Lynn is like the exception this year, but I think NBA scouts do 
a really good job and that most of your great players that you see now in the NBA, they were lottery picks. You know, not all of them were the number one pick overall, but most all of them were, you know, top five, top ten. There aren't too many huge misses, and you don't see too many guys come out of nowhere. It's why that Lynn story was so incredible, um, because in the NBA, in the NFL, in baseball, that stuff happens all the time. In the NBA, we generally know, starting from when they're in, when they're 14, you know, going through their AAU circuit, we know who's going to be the best. Those guys go to Duke, they go to Kentucky, they're lottery picks, and they go to the NBA. It, it's a pretty proven process still, um, even though I agree with what you're saying, that college game is, is a lot slower than the NBA game. Yeah. You know, it's an interesting year because for the for basketball fans, they kind of had a – you know, rely on college basketball in that in that beginning point up until Christmas when we we got the NBA back, and I wonder maybe people watch more college basketball than they normally do uh, this year. But you know, now it's time to shift gears. It's time to get get back into pros. You know, we're getting a little bit of a stretch run here. It's going to be playoff time. The Bulls have dominated the Eastern Conference to some extent with the Heat right behind them, and then you have the Thunder dominating the West with the Spurs right behind them. What has surprised you so far about this NBA season, or has it kind of played out like you expected with those teams really dominating a bit? Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's played out the way we expected. I mean, going into the season, you would have said Heat, Thunder, Bulls, you know, one, two, three. Um, you know, I'm kind of, you know, I'm kind of curious about after those three teams. There's just sort of a there's a big jumble out there. Um, I, I'm, a, I'm surprised by the Spurs. I'm surprised that they've kind of uh, I felt that they'd slip back a little bit, but I feel like we say that probably every year, um, and they don't, at least for the regular season. They really hang in there. Uh, but you, you have a lot of teams that are kind of um, they're kind of grouped together, and you don't. And I'm curious to see which one of those, if any, will assert themselves in the playoffs. You know, when you look back at, and I think we've talked about this before, but you look back at the last lockout season, the Knicks were the eight seed, made it all the way to the finals. You know, the stage is sort of set. Um, for a Cinderella out of you know, one of these two conferences, uh, you know, a team like Memphis maybe, a team that's kind of hasn't really got it all together during the season making a run. Um, and, and I'm curious to see who that is going to be because even this season, you know, the Thunder right now are the hottest thing. But a few weeks ago, the Thunder were really struggling toward the end of March. Now the Heat are struggling. Well, about a month ago, the Heat could do no wrong. So it, in, in the Bulls, the same way. I mean, the Bulls' situation with Rose, uh, if he's not at full strength, they're, they're vulnerable also. So if a team gets hot the way Dallas did a year ago, uh, they could really disturb this whole thing. And I have a feeling we're going to see one team kind of come up out of this uh, that we didn't expect, especially in the West. I mean, the West is, uh, is really open after Oklahoma City. You know, last time you were on, we talked a little bit about Kevin Love, and um, he has had an absolutely unbelievable season. And we always talk so much about the MVP in basketball, and I assume that your one and two are Durant and Rose. Is is Love the number three? Has he had the third best season this year? Well, I'd actually put LeBron up there. I know he's not playing oh, okay. well yeah, LeBron, right now, yeah, of course. Um, but I just think he, you know, LeBron's overall numbers. Um, you know, a few weeks ago, you could have made an argument it was one of the best seasons ever. Um, when you look at the over, you know, the way he filled every column. Uh, but no, I mean, it's hard to know what to do with love. I mean, the, right. the question is just how much stock do you put in a team winning? 
how much do you kind of add to his case that they've had injuries, they had injury to Rubio, uh, and he's kept his team competitive. It's just the age-old question about about MVP. Are, are we talking about you know the player with the best numbers, or are we talking about you know a player whose team is winning? Um, you know, it's funny because Durant could get penalized for the same reason that LeBron may have gotten penalized a year ago. There's this sense that he and Wade were splitting votes. This time around, Durant and even now Russell Westbrook, with his incredible emergence, uh, could he could have to split votes with Westbrook uh, in a way. You know, and I don't think Westbrook's going to necessarily take away votes, but there might be a feeling uh, that Durant's team is so loaded. So Love would have the opposite case. Like I'm glad I don't have to vote for that um, for these things because I, I, you know, I don't even know where I would go at this point. I still, you know, it's funny, even in this season, three more weeks, um, and I still feel like that door is open as well. Right. Now, you mentioned LeBron, and I want to ask you something about him. When he and Dwayne Wade seem to organize this picture uh, to commemorate the poor kid who was was killed in Florida, were you surprised at LeBron stepping up that way? Were you pleasantly surprised by it? Um, Did it change your opinion on him at all? Because he's been really – he's almost been like, you know – Tiger Woods or the famous Michael Jordan quote of Republicans by sneakers too. You know, right. He's always been this kind of guarded guy, but you know he stood up for something. And I know personally, as someone who has had a lot of fun kind of rooting against LeBron in the Heat for the last year or two, I've kind of softened a little bit after that picture. That's funny. Uh, I, I think a lot of people have softened um, toward him in the past year. It feels like I think he's. Uh, I, well, first of all, to answer your first question, I'm always. Um, pleasantly surprised and encouraged whenever athletes do sort of anything to put themselves out there to make a statement um, the way guys did all the time in the you know in the 60s and the 70s um, and you're right I think Jordan in many ways that's one of the um, it's one of the worst parts of his legacy right uh, sort of he made it okay because he, he, he was such a transcendent player and such a, a, a commercial success he made it okay for everybody to take a backseat on every issue, you know, when, when it comes to, uh, to star athletes. And so, look, when LeBron does something like that, I'm, I'm impressed also and, and encouraged by it. And, you know, I, look, I think a lot of things he's done in the last year have been, have been b- better. Uh, you know, you, you haven't – there haven't been as many comments about him that have been kind of blown up. Um, I think he's been more careful. It's too bad he has to be so careful, but every word he says is parsed like crazy, so he probably does. Um, you know, but there have been other little things he's done this year. I mean, ways that he's kind of expressed remorse about the decision. He's really, you know, said a lot of nice things about Cleveland and what he misses about Cleveland and the fans there, uh, to the point that it might he might have gone overboard as far as uh, lamenting uh, that he's not in Cleveland anymore. Um, so I, I think he's had a really good year. I think the ways he's improved on the court, shot selection, what he's done in the post, uh, his assist numbers. I mean, he's really... He got engaged this year. Um, I don't know if you read a story about the team, uh, the Heat was coming back and had to stop by in Oklahoma City, and uh, these soldiers were on the ground at the airport where they were, and they wanted to kind of take pictures with the team. And I think there was somebody saying, no, you know, don't. And, and LeBron kind of spoke up and said, hey, if they want to take pictures with us, let them all in. Wow, that's awesome. Um, and so he kind of, you know, stepped up there. Look, I mean, LeBron James was not. You know, if you take his whole career, if you're going to look at it, uh, he's actually done pretty well in an incredibly intense public spotlight. He had one horrible 
day, one horrible quote unquote decision right. um, that is that has kind of sullied everything for him. But I I do think he's working his way out of that. We've seen athletes come back from way worse. Uh, Kobe Bryant, the best evidence that I think when it's all said and done with LeBron, um, that whole thing will will be. It'll be a it'll be kind of a regrettable footnote, but it'll be a footnote. You know, the exact exact opposite of that maybe is the year that Dwight Howard is having. You know, he's got this situation playing out in Orlando. Some nights he's a beast, and it seems like he's he's committed to to playing the season out. And then other times you see these pictures that get tweeted where he's like sitting outside the the huddle, right? And, yeah, it's, you know, it's out, on yeah. PTI. Then you know, and, it, and it, what what do you think about Dwight Howard and the year he has, and how you see this situation with the Magic playing out? Yeah, I mean, it's been a um, it's been a, a year we've been able to see a lot about about Dwight Howard and kind of see that he's a pretty immature guy, and um, you know, really wasn't able to make a decision on his own future. Um, and I think he was legitimately torn. I don't think it was an act. I think he didn't know what he wanted to do. I don't think he wanted to be the bad guy the way LeBron was. Um, but I also don't know that he wants to be in Orlando fully. And so you're sort of seeing that revealed in his play, which is inconsistent, and the team's play, um, which is also inconsistent. You know, there's still, I guess, a you know, there's top four seed in the East, and they're a potentially dangerous team. Um, but they just they play with such inconsistency that it's hard to expect them to go uh, to do much more than win one playoff series or one round of the playoffs. Uh, so yeah, I'd say it's been a it's been a pretty bad year for Dwight Howard and his image. And the worst part of it all is that we could have to do it all over again with him next year, or we will, because all he's doing is opting in for one more year. You know, I think he wanted there to be this kind of great show of support for the loyalty that he showed Orlando and the Magic. And he would have gotten that if he signed long-term with them, but he only opted in for one more year. So it's sort of passing that decision off. Um, and a lot of people, I think, are just kind of tired of Dwight Howard at this point. Yeah. It's vacillating. I mean, I empathize a little bit. You know, anybody who's ever had to make a massive job change, um, a big life change, the way he's the way you know he put himself in position to do, uh, there's going to be stress there, and there's going to be regret. You know, whatever you do, in the moment after you do it, you're going to think, "Well, what if I did that?" And so he was kind of, I think, going through that very much in the public eye, and too much so. And I think in the year, he'll figure out how to answer those questions a little better because it felt like every day he had a different answer to the same question, and that's very human. That's that's real for most of us when we're wrestling with big decisions, uh, but it doesn't play real well in this you know, blog, ESPN, pardon the interruption world. Right. The sportscasters are here with one of our best pals, Lee Jenkins, who you can follow on Twitter at SI underscore Lee Jenkins. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you do have a, a basketball story in the magazine that will be out tonight at midnight, correct? Yeah, it's about the Sixers and, and about Andre Iguodala. And like, and you see, it's, it's been an interesting year in the NBA because there are all these teams, you know, for people who still, you know, hate the kind of superstar collections, the answer to them have been all these teams that have no stars. You know, the Pacers, the Nuggets, uh, the Rockets, and and the Sixers. There's one I'm leaving out in the Western Conference. Uh, help me out. Grizzlies? What's um, that? Grizzlies? No, Grizzlies, I would say, have a Spurs? little star power. But, I mean, Spurs um, have older stars. Um, anyway, it's, it's about kind of the, so the, what you have are these teams that don't have a lot of stars, but they do everything we kind of want. They play together, and they play good defense, and they share the ball. Um, but in the end, it seemed like the Sixers, it's funny, when I went out to do the story, they were running away with the Atlantic. 
and now they've really kind of come back to the pack and don't really look like a contender anymore. Right. Um, and it's just, it, it's kind of the sad truth of the NBA that you really do need a star. Even if you put together a team of great depth that plays the right way, if you don't have that place to go late in the game, because so many games are tight, to get those easy buckets, uh, you're just going to fall short. And that's kind of what's happened with the Sixers, although I really do admire the way they play. I mean, they're on pace to set a record for the fewest turnovers per game. They're the best defensive team in the NBA by field goal percentage and by points per game. You know, they do it all as far as things we want to see. And Iguodala is a good emblem of that. You know, the best perimeter defender in the NBA, uh, legitimately, and, and one of the best overall players other than LeBron. But it's just tough when you don't have that, that kind of score, a killer score late in games. Uh, you just, it's just hard to keep pace. Let's finish on this. We've talked a lot of NBA. We've talked a little college basketball. I know I read in your open that the sport closest to your heart is baseball. I picked that out of a bio. I hope that's true because I say that all the time about you. But yeah. this, we're going to talk probably more in the two third next time we talk to you or whatever as we get deep into the summer about baseball. But I just wonder as opening day approaches, just real quickly, what is the one or two things that you're most looking forward to see play out as uh, baseball season gets underway? Hmm. Well, I mean, I live in uh, I live in L.A. So I'm curious. I'm really curious about the Angels um, and if they can kind of be be the sort of team um, with Albert Pujols that can challenge the Yankees and the Red Sox legitimately. Um, even though they're in a different division, obviously, and the Rangers are going to be a huge test for them. Um, but I look at kind of their four starters: the return of Kendry Morales um, and Pujols, and, and and that lineup. You know, can that lineup match up with the Rangers? I know the pitching can. Um, so that's a story I'm looking at uh, you know, that I'm really excited to see. Um, you know, I'm also curious, I mean, it's another L.A. story, but just this whole situation with the Dodgers. Right. Um, I'm going to see how it will play out. I mean, the Magic Johnson group bought the team for $2 billion, $2.15 billion. $2. billion. They're going to have to spend another $300 million to renovate the stadium. It's going to be up to $2.5 billion. Um, that's a pretty solid team in a weak division. Well, I shouldn't say it's a solid team. It's kind of a top-heavy team in a, in, in a weak division. With they got Kemp, maybe the best player in the league. they got Kershaw, maybe the best pitcher in the, in the NL West. Um, but how much money will they have left over to make some big moves? Could they make a big move at the deadline, and how big a splash will they make next winter? You know, after you spend $2.5 billion, I don't know how much you have left over. Um, but they better have something because people are expecting a lot after, after that price tag. <laughs> All right, Lee. Thank you very much. Look forward to talking to you soon. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate it, man. Bye. All right. We want to thank Lee Jenkins for making his eighth appearance on the show. You can always count on Lee. Love him. Yeah, he's the best. All right. Book club update. Last week on the show, we talked to Roy McGregor, the author of Wayne Gretzky's Ghost. I loved the book. I had a great time reading it. I had a great time talking to Roy. We mentioned last week that we weren't exactly sure what direction the book club was going to go this month. Would it be one book? Would it be two? Would it be neither of the ones that we mentioned? Turns out it's going to be both. So we have two book club books of the month this month. The first one is My Years Coaching Tiger Woods, The Big Miss by Hank Haney. He has been everywhere, seemingly, the last week or so, promoting this book. 
Uh, the Masters is this weekend. We're going to talk more about the Masters in pick four. I am just getting started with this book, and I already hate Tiger Woods <laughs> way more than I did beforehand, and that was quite a bit. So this is going to be cool. I'm excited to read about this. My brother Anthony can't wait till I finish because he really wants to read it. Again, it's another book. They do a great job with these covers. I think it's an awesome cover. Is he a Tiger guy? You know, I can't tell just yet. Yeah. You know what I mean? I can't tell just yet because he's kind of throwing out some mixed signals as to whether he likes Tiger or he doesn't. I stayed away from a lot of the press because I want to form my own opinion. Okay. You know what I mean? So I've kind of ignored it. Now, I haven't talked to Hank yet, but I think he's going to be on at the end of the month. I hope. Either way, I think this is a worthwhile book to discuss and to read and to be a part of the book club. It's certainly probably the hottest uh, book in sports right now. The second hottest is probably a book called Don't Put Me in Coach, My Incredible Journey from the End of the Bench to the End of the Bench by Mike Mark Titus, former walkout college basketball player at The Ohio State University. Now, Mark is a guy who started a blog called Club Trillion. His Twitter is actually at Club Trillion. And he got a big break because Bill Simmons, the sports guy, discovered Mark, basically. And Mark now writes for Grantland. He's a contributor there, Simmons site. And I have talked uh, to Mark thanks to a connection that we used Jonah Carey, who was on the show last week. Right. Jonah put me in touch with Mark. I got a hold of him. We ended up getting not one, but two copies of Don't Put Me in Coach. You know what that means, Don? Giveaway. It means we have a giveaway. So email us to sportscasters at gmail.com. Let me know the web address for the new sportscasters project and who the first guest was on that project we'll take all the correct answers we'll pick one out next week and we'll let you know we'll send a copy of the book out don't put me in coach my incredible ncaa journey from the end of the bench to the end of the bench by mark titus um that's basically where it is oh we gave away the warrior book we sure did we sure did that's gone so to quit bothering me I gave it away. <laughs> I mean, we had millions and millions of responses, people dying Tons. to get that workout book that came in the mail from who knows who, uh, but uh, that's gone. So right now you're emailing because you want a copy of Don't Put Me in Coach, My Incredible NCA Journey from the End of the Bench to the End of the Bench by Mark Titus. And hopefully you are also reading with us my years, Coaching Tiger Woods, The Big Miss by Hank Haney. We're going to take a break and come right back with Adrian Dater. <laughs> Our next guest is from Barry, Vermont, and is a graduate of Keene State College. In 1991, he moved from east to west and joined the Denver Post, where he still works today. At the Denver Post, he has been covering the Colorado Avalanche following their move from Quebec. They run to the Stanley Cup in 1996 and everything since. He has written six books, including the hockey bestseller Blood Feud, Detroit Red Wings versus Colorado Avalanche, the inside story of pro sports best, and nastiest rivalry of its era. Besides his duties at the Denver Post, he covers the National Hockey League for Sports Illustrated and SportsIllustrated.com. His Power Rankings column is one of the most read hockey articles on the website each week. He is also the very proud owner of a Kiss pinball machine. 
A warm sportscasters welcome to the very talented Adrian Dater. How you doing today, Adrian? Hey, thanks for having me and appreciate that uh, bumper music intro. That used to be one of my favorite songs, actually. Uh, War Machine by Kiss, 1982, Creatures of the Night album. Yeah, which great Kiss a lot song. Fans will know that had a different cover uh, made when they lost a Fraley, but uh, the classic blue painted faces cover was uh, one of my all-time favorite album covers, and I still have a, a T-shirt with that picture uh, on the, that I wear proudly today. Well, now that we got you pumped up, which is what we try to do, let's talk some hockey. Uh, we love hockey on this show. I, I I always say that you know of all the podcasts in the United States of America, I, I think you know one that is um, set up to be about generally sports. I think we talk the most hockey. We had Roy McGregor on last week. Uh, you know we've had Michael Farber, a colleague of yours, and Asayan, and we're excited to have you today. And it's it's a really exciting time to be a hockey fan because. We have the races going right now. There's about three games left. Uh, a couple teams have two games left. And, um, you know, there's there's still a race for the last spot in the East, and the West is still jumbled up. We still have a President's Trophy race. We still don't know who's going to finish first in the Western Conference. Um, there's a lot that's still be decided. What do you... What are you following here? What What are you watching closely? Uh, what, what do you What do you see? What, what do you want to see the next couple nights? Uh, you know, just generally speaking, give us some thoughts on uh, the race that we have here in the National Hockey League as we approach the playoffs. Mm, well, um, well, first of all, I still cover a team that has a four percent chance of making the playoffs in the Avalanche. So, uh, so I'm still watching them uh, probably more than anybody, but. Uh, Assuming they're not going to get in, I think uh, the, the real, the only big two things I'm kind of curious as a fan is um, who uh, who will win that eighth spot in the East? Will it be Buffalo or Washington? Um, and Buffalo better win that game tonight against <laughs> Toronto if they want to be that way. Um, and uh, I'm also curious to see who's going to be the uh, fourth seed in the West, either Nashville or Detroit. Um, right now it's flip-flopping back between the two, and uh, and I think whoever gets home ice in that series is is, is going to be the winner because, uh, you know, Nashville is um, very good at home, and Detroit has been very sort of poor on the road this year. And, jeez, uh, um, if, if they don't get home ice in that first round at the Joe Louis Arena, I don't like their chances too much. So I'm uh, definitely looking looking at those last couple of games to see how it happens there. and. I think everything else is pretty well set. Um, you know, I mean, uh, maybe there'll be a little flip-flopping going on at the, at the top of the West, but to me that doesn't matter so much. And uh, I think uh, I think those two other races are the ones that I care about right now. Is there a team near the top of either, either conference that you think can be picked off in the first round? or? Oh, I always think that. I mean, geez, <laughs> that's what makes the uh, playoffs in the NHL so much better than let's say the NBA, I mean, it's just you never have any upsets in the first round of the NBA. You have them all the time in hockey. It's uh, it's a harder thing to do to put a puck in the net um, and win a game than it is uh, scoring, putting a basketball through a hoop. And, and, the, and so just the, the um, you know, the, the harder level of skill it takes to do that uh, always, I think, lends itself to, the team's falling into slumps easier and, and a hot goalie, and they can be upset easier than a basketball team that 
you know, has all the stars and gets all the calls and is, is going to get their points no matter what. And that whole thing. So, um, yeah, I think, I think that could always happen. I think that can happen with absolutely every single team in this, in this league right now. I mean, I, I can't sit here and say that there's a, just one super dominant team that's going to waltz right through it. I, uh, I think, uh, boy, you know, the Rangers, if they had to play Brian Miller in Buffalo, uh, would be in for one hell of a battle. And I would pick the Rangers, but, you know, not by a whole lot. And, uh, definitely could see an upset. I, I, I think in the West, you'll see Vancouver or St. Louis beat their first round opponents. I think the seventh and eighth seeds in the West are going to be a little weaker than usual. Um, not weak, but just, uh, I don't see them winning against those two teams. So I think, I think in the West you'll see the top seed move on. And that's it. You know, that could be the same with last words for me because I've definitely been wrong before on predictions and playoffs. So, you but, know, uh, that's how I look at You know, it's an interesting spot here. We're in Buffalo. You're in Colorado. You know, the Sabres are right there. They've really earned the chance to be right there since the middle of February after they had played themselves out, it seemed like, and people were calling for Lindy Ruff's head. But it's super interesting to be talking to you because if the Sabres miss out on this, let's say they finish tied with the Capitals, so the Capitals end up going on because they have more wins minus shootout uh, wins than the Sabres do, I think every Sabres fan is going to spend the whole summer thinking about the game they played against the Colorado Avalanche not too long ago when the Avalanche scored in the last couple of seconds and uh, then ended up winning that game. And that's going to be the one we're going to think about. And after that game was played, I thought the Avalanche, they're going to make the playoffs and they're going to make a run. They're going to make a run at the Blues, I think, at the time we're in first. What's happened since that night in Buffalo where everything seems so positive for the Avalanche? Why have it? Why does it seem like they're going to miss it? Well, first of all, I think even when they beat Buffalo that night, it was still they were sort of still on the outside looking in. Really, the problem with the Avalanche has always been that they played too many games, and uh, these other teams have always had these other couple games in hand, and uh, it's coming down to the end where all they need to do is win one or two games, and they're they're going to be out. Um, the Avalanche lost too many early home games to, uh, that, you know, they're going to regret just like Buffalo did with that loss to the Avs. There's a lot of, there's a lot of games that the Avs had just like that where they, some last second goal would tie it up and, and they lost the extra point or the game against Vancouver where that happened. And, you know, they lost to Columbus at home. Uh, they lost to Columbus at home, I believe, after that Buffalo game, a 2 nothing shutout at home that was, to me, I would, that game is the one that would keep them out of the playoffs, and I said at the time, I'm like, there you go. That's going to be the one that does it. Right, if they win that game, they're, they're, they have okay. 90 points. The Avalanche game was uh, was a thriller in Buffalo. I was there, and I, I actually didn't see Jamie McGinn's tying goal because uh, I was actually gotten up from my press box seat and was walking up the stairs uh, with about seven seconds to go. <laughs> I, I just thought, oh, puck at center ice, I'm going to get going. And uh, sure, sure enough, I hear this roar from, from the crowd. that's sort of groan, really. <laughs> and run back down, and oh my god, how did that happen? So I had to rewrite everything, and it was a pretty darn amazing finish. I can't believe. 
Yeah, that was me all, groaning. All, all and, uh, you can't you can't let a team waltz in like that. And, and uh, wow, that was incredible how that happened. Uh, that, that was definitely a game that Buffalo should have won. Yeah, that was me groaning because that was the second time that it happened in a week. I mean, they, they yeah. it ha- the same thing happened in a game against Montreal. They they snuck that win out though um, and salvaged their other point, but they didn't get away with it that time. Uh, I, I imagine that NBC, their heads are spinning right now. They don't know what they're going to do if the Penguins and Flyers and the Rangers and Capitals are playing each other in the first round of the playoffs. I mean, I don't know what they – how could they – what could they do? I mean, those are those are their dream matchups. Those are their yeah. teams. You know what I mean? Um, well, the good news is they'll still play each other, which, you know, will be great ratings for, for, for now. Um and uh, historically, though, whoever wins those first couple of rounds, the ratings typically tend to get a little bit better, no matter who's in. Uh, not always, but usually. And uh, you'll still have one of those two teams advancing on that are going to be huge draws, Philly or Pittsburgh. So, well, I'd say they, uh, I'd say they wouldn't be as uh, unhappy as you might think, uh, first round thing, because not only will they get that matchup, but they'll they'll get one of those two teams moving on. So you won't have a chance of them both losing in the first round, at least. Yeah, I want to talk a second about the Penguins and Flyers. I mean, that's one we can pretty much take to the bank here. And it seems like we, they played the other day. It was nasty. You know, we have coaches getting fined. Um, they're separated by one point after 79 games. There's superstars on both teams. I mean, there's Drew. There's Malkin. You know, there's the stories of Talbot and Yager. It seems like just the dream first-round series. And you know, you do the power rankings column for ESPN or for Sports Illustrated. I'm sorry, and it, it seems like you know these are two teams that would really be hard to separate. To say one is in one position and one's the other, what what do you think could be the difference over seven games that would make one more likely to go to the second round than the other? Boy, uh, I gotta say, I mean, I think the Penguins would win just because of their better talent up front. I mean, those two guys, um, when it comes to that, you know, sixth, seventh game. Uh, I think I still am a believer that uh, um, superstars like that find a way to win those sixth and seventh games. And, uh, uh, you know, I think, uh, I don't know, I think the Flyers have definitely got a history of uh, good regular seasons followed by kind of weird playoffs. And uh, I know they had a, um, you know, a couple nice runs in the last couple of years, in the last few years, but, uh, you know, they've also been a team that comes up really weird sometimes with goaltending or whatever. Right. And, uh, I think it's, I mean, first of all, I, 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 I would watch, you know, every single second of that series. Uh, just as a pure hockey fan, uh, it's going to be fantastic. Um, <laughs> you know, it definitely does start to harken back a little bit to what uh, the, the rivalry I always covered all of the years, and was the Avalanche and Red Wings. Right. I don't know if anything will ever get that nasty. Or that good in the quality of play, and when you combine them both, but uh, this is this is a rivalry that's um, just awesome now for that, and it's fun to watch. And uh, boy, oh, I can't wait. I mean, uh, I I don't know with Pittsburgh now, but I, I really do think you know I like the Flyers that they've got Breeze Gallup too, and uh, I'm not counting them out. Um, I just think when in, a, in the big games, I think Malkin and Crosby are just you just can't have any honey match that over a seven game series. It's tough. Now, you said that you're going to watch every minute of that series, but what are you going to do if Panthers and Devils are on at the same time? I mean, you're not going to be able to tear yourself away from that, are you? Oh, I think I'll... <laughs> you know what? I'll, I'll I'll get two TVs in, and I'll just keep watching back and forth. 
those two. Because you're right, I don't want to miss a second of the Florida Panthers and Devils, that's for sure. So Yeah, that's... Good, good call there, you're right. I need to go out and buy another TV today. And that's probably your next book, right? I mean... Oh, yeah, I mean, when you think of top rivalry, you think Penguins, Flyers, Avalanche, Red Wings, and then, of course, Devils, Panthers. Yes. Of course. I can see the cover now. You know, it would be... Uh, It'd be someone from the Panthers clutching Kovalchuk. It'd be like a, it'd be like a Panther 65-year-old fan yawning in the stands. Right, sure. yeah, absolutely. And he has a rat rat in his hand that he's anxious to throw. Uh, the, so it, we, we've pretty much covered the East, and, and you, you get to watch a lot more Western hockey than I do just based on the nature of, of your job with the Avalanche. And you said you thought that the Coyotes and Sharks would be weak. I have to get your opinion on the Blues because – They've shocked the heck out of me. I mean, I never expected them to be 35-4 and four at home and have a 106 points and be threatening for the the um, President's Trophy. What's went right for the Blues this year that you've seen? Because you've seen them more than I have, even if you've only seen them four times. That's more yeah, than me. I, uh, I don't think I saw them being this good either. Um, but, boy, you know, I mean, <laughs> Kenny Hitchcock came in there and really got those guys believing in themselves, obviously. Um uh, you know, I always liked the roster going into this year. I thought they were going to have a good year, even with the old coach. But, uh, you know, they're young. They're pretty big. They've got big forwards who tough to knock off the puck. And they're a pretty, pretty fast team. Uh, you know, so there was a lot to like there. But, uh, I mean, uh, who could have ever imagined Brian Elliott playing the way he did? And I think that's one of the bigger reasons why the Blues have been so good is this guy Brian Elliott coming out of nowhere who basically got – you know, uh, from Ottawa. He got it to Colorado last year after he played here. And, oh yeah, and signed a one a two way deal with the Blues, I think, for one year. And next thing you know, he's he's going to be a visiting finalist. I bet. I mean, uh, I think Elliot, the Hitchcock effect, the uh, guys like Kevin Shattenkirk, who once played in this town here, who's you know forty point guy again, plus twenty five. Uh, a lot of young talent there, and uh, David Backus is a real good player, a good two-way forward. I still wonder, though, if they have that extra something, though, that's going to make them win those real big games still. I don't know if they still have that. Um, they've shown it a tendency this year to still lose to teams that, you know, you know they're going to have to be like Detroit. Um, so, so I'm definitely interested in see how they do, too, in the real pressure games. I don't think they've proven – to themselves or anybody yet that they've really won anything seriously. Um, and sometimes when you win the President's Trophy too, you can get a little, you can get that little bit of, you know, it's going to be easy for us mentality. And, and, and then once you lose the first game in the playoffs, you can kind of get your head spinning a little bit. Sometimes the President's Trophy is the worst thing you can win um, because, uh, you know, you get a little soft maybe. So uh, definitely a good team to watch, though, and I'll be excited to see it. And uh, they're going to be a good team for a long time. You know, the Kings and Blackhawks would be a real interesting matchup if it happens because there seem to be complete opposites in the sense that the Kings seem to never score a goal and they rely so much on Jonathan Quick to carry that team. He's had an incredible season. I mean, of course, we we probably would both agree that Lundqvist will probably win the Vesna, but you have to give some consideration, as you said, to Elliott and to um, and to, to Jonathan Quick as well. Uh, but yep. the Blackhawks, there seem to be the opposite. We can name, we could go back and forth naming guys that we expect to score big goals in the playoffs. But you know, the goaltending is going to be the issue there. You know what I mean? So that seems yep. like a real contrast of styles. Do you give an edge yeah. away? 
Yeah, no, I didn't get that. Uh, you're right. It's uh, you know, Blackhawks have been uh, you know a little sketchy defensively at times, and um, even with um, you know their healthy guys, they still have a, I think a defense. That's, once you get past the top three guys, it gets a little iffy there. So uh, you know, I base a lot of I base goaltending on a lot of that too. I mean, how, how good is your defense in front of you too? You you, uh, you know. I mean, Brian Elliott's a good – taking nothing away from him, but, you know, you put him on uh, a bad defense and he's still going to let in a lot of goals probably. And, and so, But, you know, the Blackhawks, I don't know what to think of them. I mean, you know, every time I think like, well, you know, jeez, look at that top five they got. And, you know, they get, a, they get a, any kind of goaltending at all. Boy, they could really, you know, they could, they could go to the finals again. Who knows? But it just seems like they can't put any real consistency together anymore, and they do give up. They give up too many goals, I think, for a playoff team. And and uh, now you've also still got a, you still the biggest thing, of course, you still wonder if Jonathan Taze is going to be okay. He still hasn't played right. yet from that concussion. Um, no Taze, no Cup, that's for sure. So, you know, uh, time's getting short for him to to get back there. And uh, even if he does play, you know, he's going to be rusty probably. Uh, I'd say the Hawks are. I'd say the Hawks are. You know what? I'd have to pick the Kings in that first round series because I think a their playoff goaltending is going to be better. They're going to find a way to score a few goals, and uh, I think the King, the Blackhawks are just worrying me too much with with the Taze factor. Uh, they just have never been all that consistent this year. So I'm going to take the Kings in an upset there if, that, if they meet. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because we've gotten Sidney Crosby back, and I say we as hockey fans, you know, I, I've always said the league is just way better place with Sidney in it than on, on the sidelines. But there's still some big stars out with concussions. Obviously, Chris Pronger's yeah. missed basically the whole year. You know, uh, Sedin is, is out still since his run-in with Duncan Keith's elbow. Uh, Tate's is out. What do you think about the way the league is, has tried to handle this concussion epidemic and and where do you see where do you see it evolving as we move forward here? Well, you know it's tough. I mean, I think that the league has done admirable things to try to eliminate headshots. And I, I mean, it just seems I don't have the empirical numbers here, but it just seems to me that the kind of cheap headshots I haven't seen as much this year. Um, I don't know if that's all true, but uh, it just seems that way to me. Um, it seems like we're not having those huge open ice hits as much and the real cheap ones. Uh, that said, they still happen. Uh, you're, but, you know, at least they're getting pretty good suspensions now. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you legislate anything out of life when it's, you know, free wills and people on skates and um, that, that blood between them. And I, I don't see how you're ever going to legislate um, destiny from happening in a world where uh, there's... Um, free will and all that stuff that you can do. Uh, uh, I think the league has done an okay job at trying to get rid of them and, and uh, you know, made it a lot of definitely stated policy that that's not uh, allowed. And some guys are still going to break the rules, though. So we're still going to have head injuries. Jeez, uh, the, the, the speed of the game, though, is such that, uh, wow, you can get a concussion any number of ways. Yeah. Um, it doesn't have to be a big hit. It can just be a little clip on the side of the head from a guy going 100 miles an hour. And, you know, you can get your head spun out the wrong way, and then all of a sudden you got a concussion. It's a fast game, man. And the players are getting so faster that uh, 
I just think that's the bigger reason is uh, complete speed of the players and the, the, um, the how they hit the boards harder, how they everything. I mean, uh, and, and I do think the, the equipment's going to get softened up a little bit. Though. The elbow pads, shoulder pads are going to have to be a little softened up. That's been a good factor. I think they're going to. So, but uh, you know. Yeah, it's too bad we have concussions, but, um, you know, it's hockey. It's a rough sport. Um, I don't see any way around it. Um, all you can do is just try to make it as, as safe as you can and eliminate the, the real dirty stuff. That's the best you can. The Sportscasters here finishing up with Adrian Dater for the first time on the program. You can follow on Twitter at A-D-A-T-E-R. You can also find his, his uh blog which is very entertaining which i've been reading the last week or so on the colorado avalanche uh you can find that at the denver post website and of course his work at si.com i guess let's just get you out of here on this and i just want to know who you who you think when it's all said and done who are the two teams left standing when we get to play for the cup and who do you think is going to hoist it well geez uh, hmm. oh boy that's tough uh you know what i uh kind of thought that Nashville can be that team that goes that extra step, and they still might, but something weird about them, too. They always seem to, you know, they're one of those teams that sort of gets stuck in a little plateau, and they can't get over that next hump too, too easily, and uh, some weird games they've had lately. Um, Nashville was a team that I thought, yeah, though, they've got the goalie, they've got a good defense, I mean, Suter and, and Weber, now Gill and, and a bunch of other good guys and a good coach. Um, but, geez, do I think they're going to beat everybody? It, it, it doesn't seem like I, 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 I keep thinking about Vancouver, too. Uh, you know, there are tops in the league in, in, in points. Uh, they, they uh, you know, they are, um, they have everything you'd want, too. Um, it's just, and they were so close. Can they be that team that learns and gets to that final, final promise land? Um, boy, that said, I mean, geez, um, I keep coming back though. If I had to say it, I probably would have to be the, the safe conventional guy. I think I would have to pick Pittsburgh right now. Uh, okay. even though they've stumbled a little bit lately, uh, Crosby, Malkin and Flurry and, and all of and all those other guys. Um, they've got the most talent, and, and talent usually wins. Not always, but it usually does. And I think they'll, uh, if I had to make the bet right now, I'd play Pittsburgh Penguins. All right, thanks a lot, Adrian. We really enjoyed it. Look forward to doing it again in the future sometime. Okay, bud, I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. All right, I want to thank Adrian Dater for making his debut on the podcast today. I also want to thank our other guests, our buddy Lee Jenkins and the very distinguished Jane Levy for being on the show. Uh, a couple things to remind you of. One, you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash thesportscasters. Find us on Twitter at sports underscore casters. Please email us if you're interested in a copy of Don't Put Me in Coach, My Journey from the End of the Bench to the End of the Bench by Mark Titus at thesportscasters at gmail.com. 
Also, we blog a bit at uh, thesportscasters.blogspot.com and thesportscasters.tumblr.com. You can look for something new on Tumblr this week because I want to write a little bit about what the difference between the sportscasters proper is going to be compared to the sportscasters as presented by Football Nation. So you can look for something there sometime this week. I want to clarify some things. Also, you can always go to our website, www.sports-casters.com. As Don mentioned, this week is the start of... Football Nation presents the Sportscasters with Peter King as our first ever guest. You can find that podcast at www.footballnation.com. Also, Don, I don't know if you noticed this, but in Peter King's Monday Morning Quarterback column this week was a quote. His quote of the week was, was one of ours. It wasn't one of ours. Close, oh. though. Oh. It was a quote from an interview that was done by our friends at ProPlayerInsiders.com oh, okay. with Demarius Smith the uh, NFL players president. So don't forget to check out uh, our friends at ProPlayerInsiders.com. They're blowing up over there. And as we get a reaction from the commissioner, a response to his decision as to what the Saints' punishments will be, I will write about that there at some point this week as well. And I'm going to be debuting on there sometime in the next week or so. A Monday morning quarterback style column that will appear every Wednesday um, in the off season and during the season on that website. And I'm still looking for a name. So if you got any cool puns, football puns that start with Wednesday, uh, <laughs> let me know. Um, but one last piece of business here this week, and that's pick four. Pick four can be so frustrating sometimes because I was an inch away from being four and zero, and instead I end up. Two and two, and this is what happened. I had Kentucky over Louisville, no problem, won that. I had the Thunder over the Lakers, no problem, won that. I had Melkin scoring 50 goals by today. It didn't happen. He only got to 48. Then I had Ohio State beating Kansas. They had a huge lead, and they just blew it. They just didn't bring it home. Yeah. So I went two and two instead of going potentially 4-0. and oh. That brings me to 33-20. and 20. Don has been turning it around as of late after a sh- slow start this season. He had a 3-1 and week with uh, Kansas over Ohio State. He benefited from that big second-half comeback. He had Kentucky over Louisville, as I did in the game of the week, and he had the Bulls over the Pistons. He won that one 83-71. His only loss said he thought the Sabres would be in seventh place as of today. Unfortunately, nope. they're in ninth. They surely could have been, though. All right, let's keep this rolling. My positivity, uh, three and one. Let's keep on that track here. Game of the this week. This week is a little bit different. We're gonna go with uh, the Masters, and since it's kind of hard to pick one player against the field, since Tiger isn't Tiger anymore, we picked. We gave ourselves four players. Yeah, you know, golf is about foursomes, right? They're gonna pick foursomes to go out and play the course together. So that's where the idea came of. We're each going to give you four players that we think could win. If one of our four guys win the tournament, we get a credit for a win. If they don't, we get credit for a loss. All right, so my four here are Jason Day, uh, number two. They finished second last year. He's ranked 11th in the world right now. Luke Donald, it's hard to go against a guy currently ranked number one. Tiger Woods, I know uh, I just don't want to bet against him quite yet. I mean, we he bet always, against him maybe. He always plays good there. We bet against him a couple of years ago. We kept saying, or the podcast only a couple of years old, but at the beginning of the podcast, we talked a lot about how Tiger Woods was done. Yeah, we this, were putting dirt on him. This, maybe too this early. was it. And yeah, we might have been betting against him a little bit too soon, so I don't. I want to have him on my foursome. And 
Number four, I went with Hunter Mahan, who I don't, I'm not real familiar with. I'm not a huge golf enthusiast, but he's number four in the world, which is the highest-ranked U.S. golfer. Kind of makes him the home home team. Right. So that, that was my logic there. Cool. Well, we have a uh, very dissimilar list, so I like it. The only crossover we have is Jason Day. Uh, I went with the same logic you did. Finished second last year. You can actually get 40-1 to 1 odds on him. Wow. From Vegas, which I think is fantastic. Finished second last year. Show that he can play at this course. Also, I have the 2007 winner, Zach Johnson. I wanted to have a U.S. golfer or two on my team. So Zach, Zach Johnson is one. I could, didn't want Tiger Woods on my team, so I went with Phil Nicholson instead. Uh, he's won it in 2006, 2008, and 2010. He's a three-time winner of the thing. So not bad. And then instead of taking Luke Donald, I took the other best player in the world right now in Rory, Rory McIlroy. Yeah. So I like it. We got really interesting teams. We have seven different golfers. We each kind of have the other person's guy. You know, it's like McElroy or Donald. You know, we each have one. It's Woods or Mickelson. We each have one. And then we each have a different U.S. golfer who could maybe contend. Right. You know, you have the number four player in the world. I have a former winner of this thing in 2007. And then we both have uh, Day. All right. Also this week, a little new thing, not new, but new this season, is instead of the worldwide leader pick where we pick a game – Nationally televised. Nationally televised, right. We are going to take go back to our pitcher of the week. This is kind of like uh, we pick a pitcher kind of survivor pool style where once you pick him, you can't use him again. I'm going to go with what I hope is a sure thing this week. I'm going to take Roy Halladay Thursday. He's on the road, but in baseball that doesn't matter really. and It doesn't matter when you play the Pirates partially. Uh, playing against, Pitching against Pittsburgh and Eric Bedard. All right, my winning pitcher of the week, I'm going to do what I think might be a sure thing, too, as you did, Don. I'm going to pick Jared Weaver of the Angels. They open up against the Royals. There's so much hype over the Angels this year. It would be really disappointing for them to win their opening game at home against B. Chen and the Royals. Uh, That game's Friday, April 6th at 10 p.m. on ESPN2, so you can watch it if you'd like. Oh, and one thing I should say about that. The pitcher doesn't need to get the win for us to win it. Right, his team yeah, needs be, to win that day. Right. I mean, because he can pitch eight great innings, it's zero zero. He's still a huge reason they win, but he doesn't get the win. That's not what we're looking for. You're just we're looking to identify a pitcher who can help his team win that day. Right by by picking a pitcher instead of a team, though, it keeps us from uh, picking the same pitcher. Baseball is the most predictable sport because of the pitching. Uh, my host choice this week again. I'm going to try to take a bit of a gimme, or at least a bit of a favorite. Try to get my record back up there to 500. I'm going to take Thursday on TNT. At 9.30, the Bulls play the Celtics in Chicago. Bulls are 21-6 and six at home. Give me the Bulls to uh, keep my good streak going. All right, my host choice. I'm going to take a risk here. Um, the We haven't talked about it today. We didn't get to it. I wish we could have, but we didn't. The Division One NCAA Frozen Four is this weekend. There's two interesting games. We have on one side Union versus Ferris State. Two kind of Cinderella stories, never been to the Frozen Four before, no NHL draft picks. And then on the other side, we have Minnesota and Boston College, two of the biggest powerhouses in the history of college hockey with over 20 draft choices in between them. So I don't know who's going to play in the final, so I have to decide to pick one of the national semifinals. I'm going to pick Union right down the road in Albany, New York, Schenectady technically, over Ferris State. That game is Thursday, April 5th. At 4.30 on ESPNU, which is so disappointing. Couldn't even put it on ESPN2, but uh, that's their business. Um, And that game's at 4.30. I'm going to go with Sam Cota, Trevor Mangolia, 
and um, Tyson Fulton in Union College over Ferris State. My bold prediction this week, the Heat have only lost twice at home this year. One time I believe I picked them to win. So uh, I'm hoping Lightning doesn't strike twice. My bold prediction, though, is that they, they play Oklahoma City this Wednesday. So I guess I am hoping for Lightning to strike twice. But I'm going to take Oklahoma City to win on the road in Miami, and I'm going to say they win by over 10. Wow. Oklahoma City is the team, though, I guess. If gonna, yeah. If you're going to do that, you want you want them to be your team. So that's interesting. So that they're going to have to beat the Bulls, who are vir- virtually unbeatable be- at home. Heat, and, the heat. Or the Heat, excuse me. And they're going to have to do it by 10. Okay. Uh, last year, this week, the equivalent week last year, I picked Tiger Woods to miss the cut at the Masters. I'm not going to be that crazy, but I am going to say that Tiger Woods, who always plays well at this golf course, is going to finish outside of the top 10 this weekend. Oh, that's totally different from what I had. Totally different from what you had <laughs> is you have him potentially winning. Yep. I didn't put him in my group, but I wanted to include him some way. So I'm going to boldly predict that he's going to miss uh, the top 10, and I guess that's more of a hope than a <laughs> – Yeah. I mean, it's just something that I can root for. So There you have it. All right. Uh, check us out on Football Nation. Please, Don Q the Hip. <laughs> All right.